Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Rob Penty. My dick became a 3D magic eye poster. If I stared at it long enough and relaxed my eyes, eventually I would see something. That and more. But before that... Someone we haven't heard from in quite a while. Just back from his latest shark hunting expedition on Amity Island. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Quint. You know, when I take a notion to put a Frank in the bun, I head on over to adamandeve.com. Adam and Eve has over 10 million satisfied customers. They got lingerie and lube, of course, and all them succulent adult toys. They got the Pizza Beaver, the Kenny Bunkport Surprise, and the Fountain of You. They got the Hot Toboggan, the Teensy Greek, and the Joyce Carol Oats. They got the bald dolphin, the Nicaraguan peach picker, and condoms. Of course, obviously, they've got condoms. And right now you get 10 free gifts with any order when you use our offer code RISK. You get a sexy surprise for her, an adventurous toy for him, a gift you'll both enjoy, and six free full-length adult DVDs, plus free shipping. That's 10 free gifts when you use our offer code R-I-S-K. So what are you waiting for? When you're ready to slide down the meat banister and dance the chocolate cha-cha, head on over to adamandeve.com. Is it good to hear from him again? Always so stirring. And with that out of the way, now here's the show.
kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Quartz behind me now. We're calling this week's episode Skin Deep. It's a surprise to me we've never used that title before. Body image is such a thing for so many of us. The struggle is real. In a little bit, we're going to hear from a good friend of mine from a little ways back, Rob Penty. I used to be in a sketch comedy group with him, not the state, but a sketch comedy group called Big Flux. Uh, if you look it up on YouTube, you can probably still find some of our, our stuff. Around about 2005, 2006 or seven, somewhere in there. Anyway, Rob Penty is a super talented actor, comedian, writer based in New York. Before that, though, we're going to hear from a very dear friend of mine. We've had her on before. You will recognize the voice because it's an inimitable one. It is the wonderful Jean LeBec. And here she is now at the Risk Live show in New York City with a story we call The Skin of Our Teeth. I don't know enough about politics to talk it, but I know enough to know that they chat bullshit. We're just tourists with a Moorish taste to hate any bait, bait, little. I'm dreaming. My teeth are popping out of my mouth like popcorn. They're twirling above my head. They're so high, they're so fast. I try to reach them, I jump, but I can't catch them. They're lower, they slow down, they taunt me. They're dangling in front of me and I go to grab one and it melts in my hand. I, I wake up sweating. I know that something is wrong. I, I lie still as my tongue pushes against a molar on my lower right side. It's loose. It's so loose that I can easily reach in and pull it out. I slip out of bed, careful not to wake my husband, Marcel, and I run to the bathroom. The floor is cold under my feet, and I stare into the mirror. I grin, and damn, there's a hole, a gaping hole. I throw my coat on over pajamas and I shove bare feet into snow boots and I walk down Fifth Avenue to a pharmacy on 9th Street. It's snowing and it's 5 a.m. There's nobody in the pharmacy, just a couple of people picking up prescriptions. I walk up and down the aisle of dental floss and toothpaste and toothbrushes and then there it is, a small blue container of dental cement. I rush home and I sit at the edge of the toilet and I, I, I read the directions carefully and I take out a big gob of the cement and I try to force it into the hole but my, my hand is shaking and the tooth is sliding all over my mouth and I can't get the tooth in. My mother's face dances in front of me. I'm eight years old. It's a backyard party. My mother bites into a piece of corn on the cob and her face freezes. She runs into the house and she's gone for a really long time so I decide to find her and I, I go into the house and I see the bathroom doors open so I look and she's looking in the mirror. I'm hovering in the doorway and she turns and 
there's a big hole. Her front tooth is gone. And this is not my mom. This is a scary mom. I turn, I back away, I run. I hear her say, Jeannie, Jeannie, but I don't, I don't look back. Very soon after this happened, my mother got dentures. She was 45 years old. I never saw her without her teeth. I never saw her put her teeth in or take her teeth out. But then one Saturday morning early, I was walking by her bedroom and I saw her sitting on the edge of the bed and she was holding a glass and her face had collapsed. She looked so old and I watched as she reached into the glass and she took out her dentures and she grimaced as she put them in her mouth trying to adjust them. And I said to myself, I will never have dentures. I will never be my mom. Every day my tooth falls out and every day I cement back. Marcel's going crazy and he goes, damn it, go to the goddamn dentist. Just go to the dentist. But I, I can't, I'm too humiliated. I can't go to the dentist with my cement in one hand and my, my tooth in the other hand. And for my entire life I've been battling my fear of that moment when a dentist looks into your mouth and he sees your sins the years of being anorexic and starving myself and, and until I had bloody gums and the times I smoked too much, drank too much, didn't brush, didn't floss, didn't go to regular checkups. And every time I left the dentist, I felt so shitty about myself that it was easier not to go. And then I was too embarrassed at how long it was that I didn't go, so I couldn't go. <laughs> I decided that I would go to NYU School of Dentistry because nobody would know me there. And the examination was long and tedious. First the interns looked in my mouth, then the supervisors looked in my mouth. They talked about me in front of me as though I was invisible, not one of them noticing the water that was trickling out of my mouth and down my neck and into my shirt. I'm gripping Marcel's hand as the young NYU intern is looking at my CAT scan. He's pointing to it. And I feel so naked as his fingers are just kind of expertly pointing out bone loss here and bone loss there. And then he looks at me and he says, your teeth are no longer viable. There is just too much bone loss. And I recommend that you become proactive. And I recommend that you have all your teeth extracted and that you get dentures. And I feel as though the air has just been punched out of me. My mother's face all collapsed, my face all collapsed. And when we leave the exam, I just know that this is all my fault. And it's cold and it's windy. and. Marcel puts his arm around me and he pulls me close and I cling to him as we walk down East 24th Street to the subway and he keeps saying, I'm here, I'm here. Night after night, I look at videos of dental procedures as though they're porn. I'm obsessed, I'm desperate. Any day my teeth might fall out. I'm searching and finally I type in the words innovative dentures and a clinic comes up that is in Rutherford, New Jersey that is doing this cutting edge procedure and maybe, maybe 
this will work for me. So we drive to Rutherford, and I am a candidate. And we're so hopeful, and we're so excited, but it's $70,000. And we, yeah, and we're stunned. And, <laughs> and it's not covered by insurance. And you know, Marcel, he's such a hero, and he keeps saying, babe, I'm going to find a way to get this money. I'm going to find a way. But it's me. It's me. I did this to myself. It's my fault. I've got to find a way out. I have lunch with my sister-in-law, Diana. We're very close, but I haven't told her about my teeth. And we're sitting and having lunch, and she looks at me, and she says, Jean, how's your soup? And I get hysterical crying and tell her the whole story, and I'm sobbing. And she leaves her sandwich, and she sits next to me, and she says, look, I have a friend. This friend hates the dentist so much that she would rather have a doctor look in her pussy than a dentist look in her mouth. And she had extensive need of dental care, and she couldn't afford it in, in, in the US. So she went to Costa Rica. She had excellent work done, and call her, call her. So I call her, and I get the names of two dentists. They work as a team, and they've been doing the procedure I need for 10 years. And Marcel and I spend sleepless nights like, are we crazy? Are we brave? Are we idiots? Surgery in another country? Geez, you know, what if something goes wrong? You can't very well drive to Costa Rica. But I'm desperate, so I make the call, and we go to Costa Rica. And on the plane there, I, I drove Marcel crazy, thinking of different signals that we could do in case we want to abort this entire plan. <laughs> But the moment I see these dentists, I fall in love. Dr. Freer is tall and thin, he's got black hair. He would really fit into Williamsburg. And <laughs> he would, he would. And Dr. Sines is older and he never loses eye contact with you. He talks very slowly and he really listens. They go over the operation in very big detail. First, I would have all my teeth extracted. It would be a five hour surgery. Then. Five Zimmer screws would be drilled into my upper jaw, made in Germany, these Zimmer screws. Four Zimmer screws would be drilled into my bottom jaw, and then beautiful teeth would be attached to these screws. I got stuck there because all I could think of was Zimmer screws made in Germany because I'm Jewish and I grew up with a mother. <laughs> that boycotted everything made in Germany. And she didn't talk to my Aunt Sue for two weeks because my Aunt Sue bought Goulden's mustard soap. I couldn't imagine what, what she would think with German screws in my head. <laughs> March 12th at 9 a.m., I'm being prepped for the surgery. The anesthesiologist says, take a deep breath, sweetie, and she inserts the IV. She is drop-dead beautiful, and she has these high, spiky, high heel shoes, and I tell her I want her shoes, and she laughs, and I'm so happy she laughs, because I want her to like me, and I want her to put me to sleep and get me to the other side of this thing. <laughs> Dr. Sines holds my hand, and he says, listen, Jean, when you wake up, you're not gonna have any teeth, but don't be scared, because it's only temporary. So I touch my teeth with my tongue, and, and, and I, I slide it around my real teeth and say goodbye. The room is getting busy. The operation is going to begin. But I feel this 
gas moving between my shoulder blades like one of those lost farts. And I, I really don't know, you know, I wind up going to sleep more worried about farting than I am about getting all my teeth extracted. It's over and I hear Dr. Freer's voice going, perfect, perfect, perfect. My lips are so swollen and stretched that they are falling off my face. I know how swollen my face is without even looking in a mirror. I can feel. I have over 100 stitches in my mouth and screws and things and the nurse puts a surgical mask over me and I am so grateful because I really don't want Marcel to see me this way. Right before I get into the wheelchair, Dr. Freer touches my shoulder and he says, Jean, you did great. You're a warrior. And Marcel wheels me down the corridor to the elevator. And at the elevator, our eyes meet. And I'm so happy I have the surgical mask on. And he goes, sweetie, sweetie, you look, you know, your hair looks beautiful. <laughs> and as we get into the elevator, in spite of 100 stitches, we're hysterical laughing. It'll be three days before I get my teeth. And it may as well be three years because I don't want to take that surgical mask off, and I don't want to look, and I don't want to see. But finally, it's, it's the day before I'm getting my teeth, and Marcel has finally left my side for the first time, and this is it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to look at myself. And I, I look at myself. I take the surgical mask off. I have two black eyes and bruises all over. And without your teeth, you lose your face. And I make these faces in the mirror. And sometimes I look 100 years old. And sometimes I look 16 years old. And sometimes I look like a newborn baby. And sometimes I look like my mother. But mostly, mostly, I look like a warrior. So I throw the mask away and go out and take a walk. Thank you. Ever since I was a little girl, people have turned away when they looked at me. The very first thing I can remember is another little child screaming when she looked at me. I never really wanted to be beautiful, you know? I mean, I, I never wanted to look like a painting. I just wanted people not to scream when they looked at me. I am not an animal! I am a human being! Thanks, everybody. How are you, how you guys doing? Awesome. Uh, so the worst part about genital warts... Yeah, that's how you start a show. The worst part about genital warts, other than actually getting genital warts, might be the words genital warts. Because when you talk about it or you have to tell somebody that you have it, you have to say the words genital warts. And the alternative is not much better. It's venereal warts. Um, I kind of wish I had gotten the clap because the clap just sounds better. It's like manly, you know what I mean? But uh, I wasn't that lucky. So I'm lying on the dermatologist table. I have my pants around my knees and he's examining me and he says, yeah, it looks like you have a few warts. And I just sort of mentally break down. I put my hands over my face 
and I just say, oh, oh God, no. Because I had just slept with someone two days before. I met Diana on OkCupid, and we had gone on a few dates, and they were great, and I really liked her. New Year's Eve rolled around, and I did something that I had never done before, something that men have been doing since the dawn of the mobile phone. I texted her at 2 a.m. saying, hey, what's up? And we went back to my place, we spent the night together, and then she left early the next morning. And it was a really nice time, And but my hypochondriac brain would not let me just think I had a nice night. I was like, I hadn't been sexually active in almost a year, but I had had a scare with someone before, and I was like, you know what, just make sure, just go get checked out, just as a precaution, it'll be fine, just go get checked out. And that's how I found myself lying on the dermatologist's table. And he says he's gonna freeze them off, and he takes this apparatus, it's about the size of a Foster's beer can, it has a trigger and a nozzle, and it's full of liquid nitrogen. And before he does it, I say, um, is this gonna, uh, and he says, hurt? Yes. <laughs> and I said, no, is this, is, this gonna, is this gonna be with me for the rest of my life? And he says, let's not worry about that right now. So I had a date planned with Diana about four days later, and I was freaking out because I never thought I'd be in this position ever. Like, I never thought that I'd have to tell somebody, oh, I have an STD and I may have given it to you. I never thought I could be someone's nightmare date. This isn't the girl that I thought, I wasn't like, oh, she's the one, I'm gonna marry her. But like, I was like, you know what, man? I could like really like watch Netflix in pajama bottoms with this girl. You know what I mean? Like that level, and that's not nothing. You know what I'm saying? I liked her. Um, so we went to this performance, it was at Lincoln Center, and we were getting along great, and I was like, you know what? Maybe this'll be okay. Maybe she'll understand. Don't give up the dream of Netflix and pajama bottoms just yet. <laughs> if I explain it right, this could work out, and maybe we'll still see each other, you know? So we leave, we walk down the street, I say to her, you know, I really like you. And she slid her arm into mine after I said it, and we were walking down the street arm in arm. But I knew I had to tell her, I had to tell her as soon as possible, in person, that night. So I waited until there weren't that many people on the street. I squared us up and I said, uh, I have something to tell you. I went to the doctor the other day and she said, yeah. Because when someone that you've been dating for a couple weeks says, I went to the doctor the other day, there's only one kind of news coming. I said, I went to the doctor, he examined me and he found uh, some warts. You hear that, right? It's gross. The word warts, it's just gross. And she said, oh, okay, uh, um, thank you for telling me. Um, yeah, okay, sure, I'm gonna go. Um, okay, yeah, thank you, okay, bye. And she walked away, went down to the subway, and I was like, oh, she is not cool with this at all. I emailed her a couple of days later just to check in, and I was just like, you know, I'm glad that I told you that I liked you, and I'm glad that you slid your arm into mine when I said it, and this might be a sappy email, but I guess I write sappy emails. And she wrote back the next day saying she was actually quite upset about the whole thing, and she needed some time. Um, I called her twice, she didn't pick up. And then two weeks later, I got a, another email from her saying, the doctor checked her out, she's gonna be fine probably because we used a condom, um, but because she's gonna be healthy, she would like to keep it that way. 
she didn't want to see me anymore, and she wasn't on board with such a saccharine tone so early into dating. I understand that I put her in a shitty spot, but saccharine tone stung. That sucked. I wrote back one more email saying I'm so sorry for all of this, and we never spoke again. Now what followed were a couple of years of what can really only be described as STD OCD. Um, I googled genital warts incessantly. Like I learned about HPV and all the hundreds of strains and cervical cancer and penile cancer and throat cancer and how people rarely only have one outbreak and how some protrude from the skin and some are flat and some are discolored and some are flesh colored and all of this stuff and uh, some are so small you might not even see them. You might have it right now and not know it. And that's when I was just like, fuck you, WebMD. <laughs> like, how are you gonna tell a hypochondriac you might have it now and not know it? If my brain were a computer, that's the line of hacker code that would basically be like, Rob's brain has unexpectedly quit. Would you like to send an error report? Um, and I read these forums where people were saying that they were like turning to Christ after getting genital warts. I, I read one where someone heard of somebody who had killed themselves after getting genital warts. It was the internet and it was bullshit, but it was not helping me at all. And eventually I stopped Googling, not because I learned my lesson, but because I simply, every link was visited when I would Google something. For like three pages, purple links. You know what I mean? I just could I, I reached the end. And I was examining myself constantly. Like, I would be at work worried about an outbreak, and I would sneak into the bathroom and check myself out. But the light wasn't good enough, so I'd wait until I got home. And I had this standing Ikea lamp with a bendable neck, and I would bend it down, shine the light on myself like a cop interrogating a suspect. My dick became a 3D magic eye poster. If I stared at it long enough and relaxed my eyes, eventually I would see something. I went back to the dermatologist so many times, that dude was so sick of me towards the end. I was also mourning the fact that for me, casual sex was done. It was just over. Like pre-HPV, it wasn't exactly happening all the time, but now it was just dead, you know what I mean? Because even if by some miracle, I could get a girl interested in me to come home with me, I would have to stop the seduction in the middle and say, oh, um, listen, by the way, I have a strain of HPV that causes genital warts. While unsightly, they are benign. And <laughs> even if we used a condom during intercourse, uh, because HPV is spread from skin-to-skin -skin contact and a condom doesn't cover all of my skin, I can't guarantee that I wouldn't unwittingly transmit it to you. But if you're still as turned on as I am, <laughs> your place or mine. And I was still, I was dating throughout this time, like internet and stuff, and, but I didn't want it to get past coffee or that first drink because I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to have this conversation or be rejected. Eventually I did meet somebody and she was really great. And um, I moved real slow. Uh, emails for like two weeks before I even asked her out. And uh, we did go on a date. And then we went on another date. And another date. And one of those nights, we actually spent the night together. And we didn't have the conversation, so I made sure it stayed real PG-13. But we woke up the next morning, and I knew that I had to tell her. And I liked her a lot, and I didn't want to fuck this up. So I just looked over at her and I said, I have something to tell you. And she said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, uh, 
Um, I, uh, I have HPV. And she laughed so hard. It was so wonderful. And she was laughing and she said, I'm sorry that I'm laughing, but Jesus, you should have seen the look on your face. I thought you were about to tell me you had HIV. Look, so many people have HPV. I said, it's the warts kind. She said, okay, that's, I don't care. It's fine. And that's what finally got me over it. I, having, it was all in my head the whole time. And getting it out and having someone say to me, it's okay, that's what, I haven't had an outbreak since. And when I look back on this time, this weird period in my life, I think about the very first doctor that I went to, my primary care physician. Like I was so scared and he saw how scared I was and he checked me out and we talked about it a little bit. But then he said to me like, listen, Rob, you've got to calm down. This is not a big deal even if you have it, okay? When you get older, you're gonna have to deal with like heart disease and arthritis and maybe even cancer. Right now you're a healthy young man and this is not a big deal. And it took me like all those two years of freaking out to realize that he was right. Freddie Mercury isn't dead from genital warts. Uh, there's no genital warts quilt. And like I got the chicken pox of STDs and everything is fine now. And I just realized that this is how I respond to things. I freak out and I wish I could tell you, oh, I'll never freak out like that again. But I probably will about something. I don't know what it'll be. Um, but I'm still here and it's okay. And uh, just one more thing before I go. The girl who told me that it was okay, um, she's been my girlfriend for over two years now. And when we watch Netflix, we wear matching pajama bottoms. <laughs> and it is saccharine as hell. Thank you guys very much. This is Lord Huron behind me now, and we just heard from Rob Penty. You can find him at actuallyitsrobpenty.org.com. <laughs> the first dot is spelled, the second is a dot. Our last story today is a special treat. It comes to us from Jeffrey J., 
who performed this story at our show we recently did in Reno, Nevada. Jeffrey was so excited about the theme of our Reno show that night. The theme was Mindfuck, that he came all the way from Los Angeles to do the show. You can find him at jeffreyjcomedian.com. Now, listen, we did have some audio trouble there in Reno, so the quality is a little bit, just a little rough. Uh, But here he is now at the show we did in Reno. It's Jeffrey J. with a story we call Unforeseen Circumstances. That's my voice. That's the thing. I'm a 28-year-old man. The reason I look and sound like this is because I wasn't always a 28-year-old man. Uh, Not just because I wasn't always 28, uh, but I also uh, kind of wasn't a man. When I was little, I, um, I was a little girl, and... My parents knew something was up because every time they wanted to take a family picture, I made her pay me $5 to wear a dress. <laughs> and I was five. Uh, by the time I was seven, I was like, I should ask for more money. <laughs> by the time I was 12, I was making anywhere from 25 to $50 a picture. <laughs> And I was so excited about holidays. (laughs) By the time I was 14, that's when I realized um, I was a lesbian. I remember this. I was 14 sitting in chemistry class and a girl was touching my hair. And I remember feeling chills and thinking, this is so wrong. I can't like this. So I thought about it for a long time, which at 14 is a week. (laughs) And I went home and I was sitting in my room and I I just realized I'm a lesbian and I started crying. And I remember thinking, I have to get up and tell my parents. Now here's the thing about my parents. My parents are very understanding people. When I was very little, too little to understand the words, they used to say, we don't care if you're gay if you're dating a black person, or if you're a transvestite. Now, the only reason they used those words is because they didn't know what else to say, which is okay, because we didn't know what they were talking about. But the point was, they always told us they were gonna love us. So I got up, tears streaming down my cheeks, and I walked into the living room and I said, Mom and Dad, I'm a lesbian. And my mom said, but you're pretty. (laughs) You don't have to be a lesbian. (laughs) Exactly. And I was like, oh, but I want to. (laughs) And they said, well, we'll love you no matter what. And I took that and I ran. And at 14 years old, I started having sex with every girl I could get my hands on. (laughs) I mean, all of them. None of them were safe. 
I mean, I did things that are on your bucket list. <laughs> Two sisters one night. <laughs> My teacher's daughter. From 14 to 21, I had sex with a minimum of 100 girls. Yeah. I got a fake ID at age 14 and I used to go to a gay club up in Houston and I'd walk in in a baggy men's business shirt, a loose fitting tie, bright pink skinny jeans. And when I walked in, I was hot shit young eye candy. I went on with that for about, uh, you know, from 14 until I was 20. And at 20, I had started to realize that there was something else up. I wasn't just a lesbian. I was struggling with who I was. And I remember watching a program, and I don't remember what the program was. But for the first time ever, there was a trans man on it. Because I knew there was something up with my gender. But the only thing around then was Jerry Springer. <laughs> and I was like, I think I'm different, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm not that. <laughs> so I saw an episode of something with a trans man on it and I was like, holy shit, this is it. I'm transgender. I'm a man. I'm a straight man. I'm a straight white man. <laughs> It was still very hard, um, but I called my parents and I said, Mom and Dad, uh, I need to transition. It's something that I need in my life. And they said, well, then we support you. Well, I knew I had been struggling with this for so long that I couldn't wait. And back then there was a two-year waiting period where you had to go to a therapist for two years to get your testosterone. And I couldn't wait. So I found a clinic in New York that sped me through the process. I went to three meetings in one day, a social worker, blood work, and a physical. Two weeks later, I got to take my first shot of testosterone at 21 years old. I remember being so, so scared and taking the needle and putting it in my leg and immediately a calm coming over my body where I knew everything was gonna be okay. And that lasted for two weeks until I hit my second puberty. <laughs> if you think the first one's fun, <laughs> give it another go. <laughs> For the first time in 21 years, do you remember when you had your first crush, the strongest one where you got butterflies in your stomach or you had dreams? That happened to me for the first time in 21 years for a man. Yeah. <laughs> At the time, I didn't know this could happen, but now there are rough statistics that say if you start hormones, estrogen or testosterone, there's a 50% chance you will change sexualities. So now I was terrified. And I did what every other transgendered person who just changed gender and sexuality does. I dropped out of college and moved to Texas. 
and started selling knives in malls. <laughs> I got in with a company that would move me to a different city every two months. I did this because I was running away from this thing that I now had to deal with and I thought new location, no issue. Well, I got there and now I was isolated. I had no transgendered friends. I didn't know anybody in the city. And all I thought was, I have to lose my virginity. <laughs> because I had, while having sex with hundreds of girls, I had always been the sex-er and never the sex-e, if you get my drift. <laughs> I had never lost my girl virginity. And I decided I needed to do this, so what I decided I was gonna do is I went to the only place where I knew there was a place for trans people. I put a post on Craigslist. <laughs> And I wrote, trans guy here, just want to have a beer. Which meant, come have sex with me for the first time ever. <laughs> I got a great response. I got a lot of shitty responses. <laughs> but I got one amazing one from a very charming man. And I had a bunch of rules back then. If I met someone on Craigslist, uh, which I had met people on Craigslist, but never for this. I had a rule. Uh, one, don't ever invite them to your house. Always meet them in a public place first. Don't get drunk. I broke all those rules. <laughs> he came to the door, and when I opened the door, I remember looking at him and thinking, you're the most handsome man I've ever seen. And then he opened his mouth. And he was Australian. <laughs> Jackpot! Where, where, why are you here? So I invited him in, and the minute he was a dreamboat, I was like, I'm, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna get over these nerves, so I'm gonna get shit-faced drunk. <laughs> and that's what I did. I had two bottles of wine. He had a half a glass. I had the rest. Uh, 120 pound mini-me drank two bottles of wine throughout this night. He sat on the couch. As I started to get drunk, I then thought, okay, I've got to get, all I could think was I've got to take this guy's virginity. I'm sorry, I've got to take my virginity. Hopefully he's not a virgin. This is bad. Um, so, I scooch next to him on the couch, I get up the courage, and I kiss him once. And then I go, have sex with me. This isn't making out. I just kissed him once and said, have sex with me. That's what I did. And so he turned to me and he said, do you have a condom? And I was like, no. <laughs> First of all, I've never had to use one. Second of all, the guy should always have the condom. I don't know your size. Are there even sizes in condoms? If there are, are they by numbers or letters? I don't know, the point is you should have one. But I remembered I had a pride bag, which if you've never been uh, to pride, when you leave, you end up with a giant baggie of condoms and lube that they threw from the floats. So I was like, I've got to have a condom in there. So I take out this bag, I open it up, and there are no condoms because at the time, I didn't think I'd ever need them. <laughs> but I open it up and I find a thing that's called a female condom. You know what this is? Because <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> So I grabbed him, so desperate to lose my virginity. I grabbed him and I run into the room and I go, here, use these. And he goes, what are these? I said, I don't know, it says condom on it. But it's in like a big bag, so he's like, I don't think this is gonna work. And I was like, try it! 
my virginity. And so we open it up, and, and what a female condom is, I know now, it's supposed to go inside the girl. So I put it on him. So it just looked like a sad bag. Not like a grocery bag. Like when you check out, like the produce bag you put the cucumbers in. And the next thing I remember is uh, waking up on the couch, somewhere between sad bag and waking up on the couch, I blacked out. <laughs> yep, I woke up the next morning, I looked, I checked, I'm not sore. I was covered in a blanket, my wallet was set neatly on the table, and he had closed the door behind him. And I sat there in, in all of my shame, and minutes later, I got a text that said, that was a lot of fun, let's do it again sometime. So I texted back, address, question mark? <laughs> like a classy lady. <laughs> and without a shower, I got dressed and drove to his house. <laughs> In full on sobriety, I drove to his house. When he opened the door, I went into his room and I said, listen, again, I've never done this before. I didn't know this was gonna happen, but I want you to take my virginity. And uh, he said yes. <laughs> Super sweet. <laughs> now, I wish I could say that I could tell you what words I told him to use, but I had nothing in my mind but barreling through, if I lose my virginity, everything's gonna be okay. So he proceeded to take my virginity. It was gentle. It was amazing. I really enjoyed it. He was very sweet. And after we were done, he rolled over and he looked me in the eyes and he said, well, you're used goods now. <laughs> he could have said anything, but that's what he said. And I left. And I dated that man for eight years. <laughs> and that is the story of how I lost my virginity as a girl, as a 21-year-old man. <laughs> Thank you guys, I'm Jeffrey Gay.
that is it for this week's episode, folks. This is a group called Rockin' 1000. I mean, it is literally 1,000 musicians playing Learn to Fly by Foo Fighters all at the same time. 1,000 people. You can see the video online. Uh, Listen, our next live shows are in Philadelphia and D.C. We're in Philly on the 21st of August. We're in D.C. on the 22nd. And then we're back in New York and Los Angeles, our usual shows, on the 27th. And on the 22nd of September, we're in Portland and the 23rd. On the 22nd and 23rd of September, we're in Portland. We are taking pitches for that now. You can pitch me at kevin at show.com. Uh, one of the shows is Bewildered, and the other is Furious. So if you have a bewildered story or a furious story, let me know. On September 24th, we are live and the 25th. On the 24th and the 25th, we're in Seattle. And again, the themes are bewildered and furious. So write to me at Kevin at show.com And don't forget, Risk is a proud and happy member of the Maximum Fun Network of Podcasts. If you would like to donate to help us keep doing what we do, go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and make a one-time contribution or become a member. We are all listener-supported here, so we really do appreciate all the help that people can give us there. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Got the screaming sea monkey, the sopping walnut, the Mississippi drip, the back porch barnacle, the red and itchy, the drudge report, the brown eye winker, the hell 9000, the arse gargler, the slurp, the wily Filipino. The Andrew Sisters, the Loose Caboose, the Friend of Roland, the Sit and Spin, the Snack in the Box.